and welcome to the NFL Draft. This, this is 710 ESPN Seattle's presentation of the NFL Draft. Watch the 710 ESPN Seattle Draft Tracker on our video stream at 710sports.com. Come on, man! One more hour with us here on 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined by Taylor Jacobs and Jake Heaps here on this Saturday. And with perfect timing, we mentioned we were going to talk about some of the local guys getting drafted uh, through the first five rounds here. And just as we went to break, we see another local guy get taken in the draft. That'd be the Carolina Panthers selecting Husky cornerback Keith Taylor at pick number 166. Got to imagine Scott Federer, who is now the GM in Carolina, has watched him uh, very closely over the last you know three, four years over on Montlake, having been with the Seahawks for as long as he was. Uh, but guys, looking at sort of the, the local products that have been selected here, we mentioned Levi Onzerike. We mentioned Elijah Molden, Keith Taylor. He's getting selected as well. Uh, which... Which player do you think is going to be the best fit for his new team? Because Anzarike, he's now with, I believe, it's the Detroit Lions. Uh, interesting, because they went Oregon with their pick one with Penny Sewell, yeah. and then Washington with pick two, Levi Anzarike. Who, who do you think is going to be the best fit with their new ball club? It's a great question. I mean, Levi Anzarike being drafted in the second round, that shows that they have a lot of uh, faith in him and, and expect him to be a big impact player. Um, but the other guy that I would say probably is going to have the best chance to comp- compete and to contribute right away is going to be Joe Tryon uh, going to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you know, the last pick in the first round, you know, he's going to be a part of a very, very good rotation there with Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre Paul. Now you add Tryon on that. I think that's going to be a stellar, stellar pass rush. So I, I'm expecting Tryon to have a, a pretty solid year uh, for them. But uh, it's funny seeing Scott Fitterer for the Carolina Panthers guys. You know, former, uh, former, uh, longtime Seahawks uh, front office member, uh, taking uh, a lot of guys that fit the profile here in Seattle. Keith Taylor being one of those guys. Uh, I was talking about Davion Nixon being one of my wish list guys. He takes him in the in 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 this round as well. So. Scott Fitterer and the, and the Carolina Panthers having a good draft for themselves, too. Yeah, I was going to, you took the words out of my mouth. Joe Tryon, the way, the style of play going to Tampa Bay, their linebackers, the way they fly around, hit people, you know, and can, can intercept the ball, make a play on the other side as well. And, and they have that playmaking ability. And mm-hmm. of course, Renton's finest, Joe Tryon. That's right. Shout out to yes. Hayes in high school, the Highlanders there. So, <laughs> yes, uh, sir. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited to see what he does, even as a Coug, to see his impact on that team, how he rotates in, like you mentioned, Jake. They won't be expecting him to have that sort of first round come in, start um, expectations, but he can be one of those rotational players, mm-hmm. come in third down, help help get some uh, air for some of these guys and give them a break, and you don't have that big drop-off between talent. So Tampa Bay getting stronger even in this offseason, re-signing a lot of those free agents, doing well in the draft so far, especially with the pick uh, of Joe Tryon. So, yeah, scary things happening down there in Florida, no other doubt. than the normal scary things that happen in Florida <laughs> all the time. The wild and crazy stories. Yeah, right. Curtis, what do you think? Uh, I would say, just based off of the quote that Levi Anzarike gave last night in his uh, press conference meeting the Detroit media for the first time, 
I can't say it word for word because we would get kicked off the air and I would lose my job. But I'm going to paraphrase here. I'm going to do my best to censor it. Here is what Levi Enrique said. Uh, He said, I like beating people up. Different word for beating in that instance. I like to get off the line and just put my helmet or my hands on an offensive lineman and beat up an offensive scheme pretty much. I like pushing them back two, three yards and just making them feel like dirt. Uh, So obviously there's a different word for dirt at the end. But Levi... He enjoys just breaking the will of an offensive line. And look, if somebody's coming into a a program like that with that kind of mentality, I can see why Dan Campbell, notorious kneecap biter, Dan Campbell, Lions head coach, when you got a guy like Levi Onsarike saying stuff like that to the media, I mean, is there no perfect, is there no more perfect fit? Then Levi going to Detroit. I would argue nay. There is not a more perfect fit. Uh, Levi Onzerike dominating that meeting. I can only imagine the conversation between Onzerike and Dan Campbell. They were probably just sitting there getting each other more and more fired up uh, in that meeting and in that conversation. I mean, you talk about the, the, the nature, the physicality, and the confidence. And I love that Onzerike is coming in there with that type of mentality and with that mindset because now he's going to need to go prove it. And I'll tell you this, Onzerike, uh, your teammates are going to see that quote. They're going to love it, but then the offensive linemen are going to see it, and they're going to challenge you. Okay, all right, let's see what you're all about, and let's see if you really are about that life, and and he's going to get challenged here real quickly. So I'm excited to see uh, you know how he pans out and how he's able to you know make it all come together. But uh, he's got to be giving people a lot uh, a lot of people in Detroit some uh, some fun conversation here with a quote like that. Take it back one step and look at the conference as a whole and the Pac-12 players who have been selected so far. Is there anyone other than the UW players we've mentioned so far who jumps off the page as a great fit for the place they've been selected or maybe just a player you're really excited to see at the next level from this Pac-12 conference right now? Well, gosh, Penny Sewell was the player that I, I think that he is a future Hall of Famer. Wow. I think he's got all the tools it takes to be a mainstay at the left tackle position for years and years to come. And uh, I think the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, goofed that one up big time. Uh, you know, instead of going out in there and protecting Joe Burrow, uh, they went out there uh, and they went for the flashy signing with uh, with Jamar Chase. Uh, and, and the Detroit Lions, you know, find a guy that's going to be there for years and years to come. Uh, I love what the New York Jets did going up and trading up for Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, going and protecting and solidifying the left side of that offensive line for newly newly drafted quarterback Zach Wilson. Now you've got uh, now you've got Beckin, uh, at your left tackle position, and now you've got Vera Tucker, two young players that I think can potentially recreate that Walter Jones, Steve Hutchinson type of left side of the offensive line there. So I really love those picks in the trenches, you know, for those Pac-12 guys, you know, going in the first round, and and that's what stood out to me. So you know, it's funny the offensive line picks. Every now and then you do get busts, right? Um, but when you get into the top ten. Typically, you don't see a whole lot of them, right? You see a lot of guys who end up end up panning out, and especially ever as of recent. And I think those two guys are gonna are really stand out as guys that uh, are mainstays for the long haul. Do you think the Pac-12 is? Oh, get, oh, sorry, Curtis. I was just gonna follow up really oh, quickly. Go right ahead. Yeah. Do you think the Pac-12 is getting back to that spot where they can produce a lot more of this NFL talent? Because in recent years. 
it's to be honest with you, it's really only been UW and the secondary there on Montlake really producing a lot of NFL talent. Yeah. Do you think now the, the conference is going to start to turn? We're going to see some of these players start to come from USC and UCLA, or is it going to be some of the same of, you know, you might get your Sammy Hewards in a couple of years, but it's going to be sort of thin and few b- between. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be few and far between. Unfortunately, just what we've seen from the recruiting aspect, it, things haven't changed. It's continued to be dominated by uh, the SEC, the Big Twelve, the ACC, and they're pulling a lot of the talent out of Southern California uh, it, it, to the east east coast. And so, until that changes. Uh, you, you're, we're going to see a lot of the same here, and and you're going to get a you know a couple guys sprinkled in from Oregon and Washington, um, and maybe USC. But outside of that, uh, you, you, we're still going to see the early parts of the draft uh, for the next few years, at least, dominated by those those three conferences that I mentioned earlier. There was a a guy picked in the third round at, at, from out of Oregon State, Nishan Wright, who if you watched the final football season of last chance you you might be a little familiar with him he had a he had a very confident quote in himself after getting selected yeah he asked him sort of who does he who does he compare himself to he says i kind of look at myself as a more athletic and agile richard sherman yeah that scheme fits perfect because the cowboys took him in the third round uh i mean (laughs) i i i like that kind of confidence out of a player and if somebody is like you know what i'm better than this guy who's destined for the hall of fame you know what? I, I would love to see it. And if he is somebody that is going to step in and be better than Richard Sherman, I mean, holy cow, <laughs> uh, that's that is quite the uh, quite quite the achievement you've you've set out for yourself. But uh, I don't know. If, there are a lot of people out there kind of ripping him for saying that. But to me, I don't actually I don't mind that kind of confidence. Yeah, I don't mind that kind of confidence. And you and you hope you got somebody that believes in themselves. Uh, and, and you and the funny part is is that obviously that got back to Richard Sherman. He took mm-hmm. notice. He, he noticed that real fast. Um, but also Richard Sherman kind of giving the tip of the cap, saying I like the confidence as well, Curtis, having the same sentiment that that you did, but uh, also saying, hey, young fella, I've accomplished a lot in this league. You've got a lot to achieve before you can say that you're uh, you're close to my level of play. But yeah, exactly, Curtis. If he goes out there and and is able to have that same kind of production in a, in the same exact defensive scheme. Uh, we'll be looking back at this quote and, and thinking of it fondly. Well, Curtis, just real quickly here before we go to break, you had mentioned the Michael Carter, Michael Carter 2. We got an update here. The Colts drafting safety Sean Davis. He will compete with Sean Davis for snaps. So, wow. You got Sean S H A W N Davis competing with Sean S E A N. Davis. So wow. Quite the competitions it. for the same named people. Controversy. It's like competing against yourself. You know what I mean? It's true. <laughs> Maybe the lesson we learned in what this if- draft was we are our own biggest villains. Wow. We're getting existential <laughs> here. If- I like it. Like, let's say the Colts and Jets play each other this year. It's just going to be Sean Davis against Michael Carter in every facet. Like, you got to pick your side. Are you a Michael Carter guy or are you a Sean Davis guy? One, of, you got to be one of the two. I'm picking Michael Carter. I'm going to go team Michael Carter. On I this like one. Sean Davis. Okay. Well, I don't know what about it, but I like it. <laughs> I hope the Seahawks can find another Dwayne Eskridge or Trey Brown at some point in this draft. That would be hilarious, and well, you're cl- I'm all for it. You're close. I mean, Trey Brown has got a better chance than Dwayne Eskridge, but uh, we've already got Trey Flowers. We've got two Trays now on the team. We do. So you have that going for you. We need um, one more, so we have Trey Trays. Yeah. Oh, ooh, well, there you go. 
Uh, maybe we'll see that in the second, the, the sixth and seventh round pick. They've got two chances here, Taylor, uh, to pull that off. I, I, I think that when it comes back to you know the, the the Seahawks and their selections, and we're talking about these other guys, and you know looking around in the draft, and it you look, they're only going to have four picks this year. But what they're going after, I think, has been very solid. It's been very specific in terms of what they're looking for. It, you know, Dwayne Eskridge, speed, physicality, size, toughness. Or sorry, not size, but toughness and and big playability. That's what they were looking for in their offense. Trey Brown, floor, a special teamers who's going to have a great impact and ad, and his attitude in our program is going to fit perfectly. And we'll see if he can compete and and, and make himself into an outside corner here in our program. Uh, that remains to be seen. But I really like the 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 fact that they are drafting for very specific reasons and they're not just drafting some guy out there who is a complete raw talent that they think that they can shape and mold and and change into something else that's something that uh, we've seen a little bit of a shift at least so far in this draft than we have from years previous Seahawks slated to pick next to pick 217 we are at about pick 172 so we've still got about 40 picks to go before the Seahawks are on the clock next. So we will hopefully get you that pick here over the next hour or so in uh, on uh, 710's Saturday draft coverage. But coming up next, let's take a look back at yesterday with the Seahawks taking Dwayne Eskridge in the second round. What kind of player are the Seahawks getting in this wide receiver who was taken in the second round? We discuss that next year on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. Welcome back into our Saturday Draft coverage here on 710 ESPN Seattle. The big news on Friday night, though, was Seattle taking Dwayne Eskridge at pick number 56 in the second round. They did not trade down, which I think... A lot of Seahawks fans had maybe hoped for, but they saw their guy. They spotted him, and they were not going to be denied as Dwayne Eskridge was made the first pick of the Seahawks 2021 draft in the second round. And as we kind of learned from Eskridge in his uh, in his press conference following that pick, it looked like the Rams were, were sniffing around on him as well. Potentially we're going to take him at the very next pick had Seattle not pulled the trigger on Eskridge at pick number 56. Uh, the 425 texts in to the text line 710-710 asking, is, is Eskridge that guy Michael Bumpus has been touting for the last few months? Absolutely he is. Uh, so shout out to Michael Bumpus for uh, calling that one a, a few months ago because that one uh, that one came to fruition there, and Eskridge is now a part of the Seahawks offense. But, guys, when you look at Eskridge's skill set, how do you think he's going to be best utilized in Seattle's offense? Now, wide receiver number three, that's not usually going to be a guy that's going to get you, you know, a hundred receptions or a thousand yards by any stretch of that imagination. But there is there should be plenty of opportunity for him, especially uh considering how at least in my opinion, he looks way more explosive than David Moore ever was in that role. Yeah, he he certainly is. I mean, he is a different type of speed. And, you know, he's a track guy. He was a 100-meter, 200-meter track guy. Um, but the the interesting aspect about track guys is typically they're known for either being soft 
and when it comes to football, or they, they don't have the hands or the, the, the lateral speed to make it, uh, and he's got all of it, right? He is, he is track fast, he is football game speed fast, he is tough, he's physical, and, uh, and the thing that I, I love about Eskridge is, is that he is going to be able to find a role as the gadget guy, as the guy who's in the screen games, in the fly sweeps, and be more dynamic than David Moore ever was in that aspect. But the one thing that people are underselling is his abilities as a receiver, as a route runner. And if you're going to move, you guys, if you think about it, if you're going to move DK Metcalf around, if you're going to move Tyler Lockett around all over the field, well, the the guy that that other spot, that third receiver spot, he's got to be able to do the same to accommodate that ability to move all over the field. And so I think that you know his ability to do that and their expectation for him to be able to do that excites me because they don't see him as a one-trick pony. They see him as a full, full-scaled receiver that can come in and can, and can compete and make plays in every aspect of the game, and that's really what you want at your third receiver spot. You don't just want a gimmicky guy, but he can't produce for you on third down, or he can't be a factor in the red zone or down the field. And uh, they really, truly feel like they got a guy in Eskridge who could do it all. And if you look at Shane Waldron's history, and you go back and look at some of the Rams' stats here, and you look at Brandon Cooks' numbers a couple years ago, right? I think that's the mold he's trying to fit, right? And Tyler Higby as well, right? So you have, you know, 45 to 70-ish catches, 500 to 750 yards, you have two receivers at the top, and they had it as well, Cook, uh, Cup and Woods. Yeah. Both 1,000-yard receivers. And right below it, you have these great playmakers still putting up 750 yards and you know three, four touchdowns. That's a great stat line for a receiver at that number three spot. So if, no doubt. If they can get that sort of production, that average production Shane Waldron has been getting out of that third receiver spot— I think this has been a home run pick, and you're talking about it. The dimensions of this offense now open up. You move DK, you can move Tyler. Heck, Tyler Lockett's the slowest receiver when you got the three receivers out there, and that's saying something. So, the the fact that oh, and you got Chris Carson back, you got the improved offensive line, you got the safety blanket now in Gerald Everett. So, this offense feels like it's truly taking on that multi dimensional look that they've been trying to achieve for the past couple seasons, but now it feels like all the pieces are in place for them to go out and accomplish that, even with the new right. OC. Yeah, with, with the comment that Shane Waldron made, guys, if you guys remember uh, Shane Waldron, when he first got hired, he said, uh, I want to make the defense have to cover every blade of grass, right? Yeah. I mean, Curtis, I don't know I don't know about you. I mean, maybe you might be able to effectively and easily cover every blade of grass by yourself, but that's a lot of area oh, yeah. to cover, right? I mean, it's a lot of area. I feel like they actually absolutely is. they actually they actually now have the weapons to make that a reality in the run game in the passing game and uh and I think that that's the exciting uh proposition about that and one of the things I love guys about Eskridge and and Curtis and Taylor I don't know how what stood out to you when listening to his interview and and his conversation uh or his quotes that he gave but what stood out to me was his confidence number 1 in himself number 2 the attitude in which he brings to the table. He brings an edge to him. He He's a guy that I can see right now, picture it, when he makes a play, he's going to make you feel his presence. He's going to make you feel and notice that he was there, and not in a cocky, dramatic way, but just the the the, the play and the physical presence that he brings and the attitude he plays with. Uh, I, I'm very excited about that. 
I was going down the YouTube wormhole last night looking at some of these highlights and the the breakaway speed really jumped out to me and and the 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 way he would catch the ball with his back to a, a defender and he would be 10 yards past that defender by the time he was fully turned around just that explosiveness and that X factor, right? That that this offense could use both underneath and over the top because you have DK, you have Tyler, you have Gerald Everett, you have those layers of guys. Now you have that extra threat that they have to think about, both in the the short and intermediate and long routes because he's got speed. He's he can get inside if he's playing in the slot, and it just feels like he's going to be one of those receivers who excels in his role. He knows what he has to come here and do. He's not going to be the number one guy or even the number two guy, but to fully embrace that role, and you heard it in his presser, it felt like he already knows his expectations, and he's excited to fulfill them. Taylor, you mentioned his breakaway speed there. Are we... Or is Dwayne Eskridge probably going to be the kick returner this year? Or is that, you know, is it going to be a competition? You got DJ Reed, who did pretty well in that role a year ago, but uh, obviously not, you know, a wide receiver who, you know, the hands may be a little bit more of a sure thing with Dwayne Eskridge on, on kick and punt returns. We know that Tyler Lockett's days as a returner are probably done, especially with, you know, the injuries that he's, you know, had over the last couple of seasons that may have, you know, not had him at 100%, but is Dwayne Eskridge sort of the presumptive kick returner heading into 2021? Yes, I would say that he is the favorite to win the job. Trey Brown has the ability to do that too. He's an electric uh, returner as well. Uh, and and then obviously you have Reed and you know what you have there. But I think Eskridge is the guy that they are going to count on being that return specialist for him. And I think that that will be a nice – you talk about the third receiver spot, right? Not having the same level of expectations of production. Obviously you still want to have the same presence and fear factor with that third receiver to make your offense as explosive as possible. But uh, he may be able to find himself a great role and an impactful role – as your returner, much like Golden Tate and Tyler Lockett did early on in their careers. And we know how important special teams are here in Seattle and how much they value great special teams with Dixon being able to punt, you know, solid field goal kicking as well. They needed to find that. And now, hopefully a return guy and someone you can lean on and trust to make the right play, to fair catch when you need that fair catch, to try and get a little bit more when it calls for it. So I'm excited to see what he'll do, like you said, Jake, in that kick returner role as well, on top of that third receiver slot and and what he can do with some of these expectations uh, put on him being that second-round pick. And we also saw just in the scouting reports of Eskridge last night that he's got a history as a cornerback, which is a little interesting because we saw – Early on, you had Richard Sherman, who was a wide receiver, play cornerback. Is there a is the learning curve different going from cornerback to wide receiver than it is from wide receiver to cornerback? It, it almost seems like it might be a little bit easier because you're, you're running forwards rather than you know backpedaling all the time. Yeah, it is, and and anytime you see that happen, you, like red flashing lights go off in your head. You're like, uh oh, could this guy not catch? Like, most DBs are receivers that couldn't catch, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking about you're going, why did they make the transition? If he's that good of a playmaking receiver, why on earth would you transition him to corner? Well, for the team, it was a need. And the other aspect of it was is that he's so dang competitive and physical 
that they were like, hey, this dude could be a DB and be a, a physical presence on our defense, no problem. And he embraced it, and he and he took it on as a challenge. And there, the crazy thing was is there were a lot of teams out there, as Jim Nagy will outline and, and has said before, there were a lot of teams that loved him as a, as a DB and wanted to see him to continue to keep playing DB, um, but came back his senior year and played receiver. So that, to me, is, norm, is like a normal red flashing light. That's a red flag to me. But he's, he's uh, a one of one in terms of making the exception here because I don't see his hands being a problem. He's a smooth catcher. And, and I think it was more just the physical nature in which he plays the game, the passion that he has, the attitude he has. And I love having a guy like that at the receiver position. We already see that with DK Metcalf. He's not afraid to bring a fight to anybody. And, and I think Dwayne Eskridge is going to be the same thing. When we return here on our draft day coverage, the Aaron Rodgers saga adds a new chapter, and this time they're wearing derby hats. We'll talk that next here on (laughs) 710 ESPN Seattle. You are listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. Two rivals of the Seahawks with two very different quarterback scenarios going on right now, each changing two crazy stories. We'll lead off with the Aaron Rodgers one first off, but I came across another one involving Trey Lance and Fox Sports' Colin Cowherd that we're going to have to dissect here because there's a lot of tentacles coming off that one. But let's look at Aaron Rodgers. Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports reporting this morning that Rodgers is adamant that he won't return to the Packers if Brian Gutekunst remains as the team's GM. And Rodgers is currently at the Kentucky Derby today. NBC Sports' Mike Tirico approached Rodgers, asked if he wanted to do an interview. He declined, uh, but Tirico reports that Rodgers told him, quote, he was disappointed that news had come out of this rift with the Packers. And then Tirico adds that Rodgers expressed how much he loves the city of Green Bay obviously not saying that he wants to return to the Packers or anything like that, but it would appear as though Aaron Rodgers is not doing anything to stop the rumors of him wanting out of Green Bay. Guys, how do we see this Aaron Rodgers saga ending? Because I I only see it ending in a pretty messy divorce that is similar to how Brett Favre left the Packers, where he didn't speak with anybody in that organization for years and years. Aaron's a very moody guy, and I can't imagine he is uh, okay with all this getting out. Moody? Moody? (laughs) That is putting it lightly, Curtis. My goodness, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I have been like swirling this around in my mind over and over again, just trying to really wrap my head around the situation, and then it comes out that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to return to Green Bay unless the GM is fired. So <laughs> Aaron Rodgers throwing his weight around, not real happy with uh, with uh, uh, Brian Gutekunst. And the, the, the quote from Gutekunst is saying, yeah, the communication probably isn't what it should have been given the fact that we didn't give Aaron Rodgers a head up we were taking a quarterback. And if you're publicly apologizing for that, to me – I think you're backtracking off of a situation that's that's it's all bad. It's all bad. And I don't know if there's a way to resolve it. 
but having your starting quarterback put your organization in a position like this twice. He did it with head coach Mike McCarthy, and he's doing it again with now the GM. And uh, and so I don't know what the Green Bay Packers are going to do if they're going to try to resolve this and Gutekunst is going to see his last draft as a Green Bay Packer this year or if they try to find a way to move Aaron Rodgers on. But uh, he's certainly made this as difficult as possible, and uh, I think it's very clear that he wants out. And not only that, you you had an opportunity in the first round to show your willingness to keep him there. Mm-hmm. Draft a receiver. Everyone in the country is telling you to draft a receiver. They draft a DB. It's just like they do nothing to help themselves and everything to hurt themselves in this situation. And I agree with Curtis. I, I think last week I would have been like, there's no way he's leaving. But now I, I don't think there's any way we see him playing the green and yellow again with the way things are right now. Because with the relationship this fractured, with the front office making picks the way they're making the picks and not getting those weapons out for him. Yes, they have Aaron Jones and they have Adams and they have talent. But look, he feels slighted. And I know Bump said this. When, when a man feels disrespected, he feels disrespected. So he's been talking with the front office and the fact that they haven't sort of reciprocated with moves or with actions. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, that's the biggest red flag on why I don't want back in this organization if they're going to treat me this way. Yeah, and they the, the crazy part about it is that Aaron Rodgers has been surrounded by talent his entire career, right? I mean, there, there's there's been very little that Aaron Rodgers could point to and say, I don't have this, I don't have that. I think over the last couple years, he could point to the fact that he hasn't had the same weaponry that he's had in the past, but you still have Devontae Adams, still got one of the best receivers, you still have one of the top five offensive lines in all of football uh, every single year that's kept you upright and protected. Um, So from that aspect, they haven't left the cupboards bare for Aaron Rodgers, to say the least. But uh, you're right. They they certainly have not helped themselves in terms of trying to mend the relationship as much as possible. Here was an opportunity for them to do that, to extend an olive branch, so to speak, to try and smooth things over, and they didn't do it. Um, on one end, I, I, I compliment the team to sticking with their convictions. On the other end, how dumb can you be for trying to create this rift further with your star quarterback that you want to see continue to be here uh, for the next few years, as they proclaim to be, as they proclaim to say, so uh, I think that they've handled this pretty poorly. Uh, what do you think, Curtis? Yeah, it, it has been fumbled in in every aspect, at least from the Packers' standpoint. I mean, obviously, they have surrounded Aaron Rodgers with talent, and it's been talent that's found you know later in the draft. But heck, they lost Corey Lindsley to free agency this offseason. They, they haven't done anything to replace him at all, and Lindsley is. You know, Pro Bowl level center in in you know in Green Bay. I I just think that the ship has sailed completely on Aaron Rodgers ever returning, and they they had to make their bed with this when taking Jordan Love last year as a first round pick because you don't take a quarterback in the first round as just a trade chip. You take a quarterback in the first round because you have plans of playing him and him being your starting quarterback years and years down the road. And Jordan Love, obviously, he's got youth on his side. But, I mean, from what we saw of Rodgers last year, why would you want to move on from that right now? He's an MVP. Uh, it, it just makes zero sense to how the Packers have gone about handling this situation. And, and it shows that they haven't really learned anything 
you know, from when Brett Favre was there as well. Another crazy story, though, guys, and it's one that just got uh, retweeted into my timeline on Twitter. Uh, Colin Cowherd apparently has had a big influence on the 49ers drafting Trey Lance at number three because <laughs> Trey Lance is dating Colin Cowherd's daughter. Ooh. And okay. now there, there's a lot of people saying that Cowherd and just the way he has sort of sprinkled in Trey Lance throughout his show in the weeks leading up to the draft played a big role in Lance landing with the 49ers at pick number three. Ah. Are we buying this? I mean, he he is pretty close to the situation with Trey Lance. And you know what? I, I, I'm tend to, I tend to believe like he had some influence. Here. Well, I think we should be asking do, Jake huh? this question because I think Jake <laughs> would know better <laughs> right. because it's his best friend, Colin Cowherd. So it's your buddy. That's right. You talk it's to Colin guy. probably every hour, I would say, guesstimate yeah. somewhere around yeah, that we, rate. We know of each other. Right. Yeah, yeah, we know of each other, and that's fine. So what influence did you have on this pick, Jake, is what I want to know. <laughs> uh, you know, because of, you know, Colin's daughter's relationship with Trey Lance, uh, allegedly, I've had some inside ball on this, you know, with my good buddy Colin, <laughs> and uh, we've been able to talk this over, and I put together a marketing strategy and plan mm. for how he can hype up Trey Lance. So I would like to take some credit as well for Trey Lance going to the San Francisco 49ers, and I would please, please like Colin Cowherd to uh, to to at least acknowledge that. Yeah, I that, think that's that would be fair. appropriate at least. Yeah. It'd be fair. Uh, yeah, I it, mean. <laughs> Yeah, Jake. When you get when you and Colin are around each other, you guys are you know your friendship is famous around these parts. Uh, how many times has he mentioned Trey Lance to you? Because it, it sounds like you guys talk an awful lot about just you know the game, life, uh, you know raising kids. <laughs> uh, you guys, you guys are tight. I know that. Yeah, yeah, we're super close. Uh, actually, not close at all. We've never spoken before, <laughs> um, but uh, that's fine. Uh, we, I know of him clearly. Yep. He knows of me, uh, as as he has said said before. Um, but uh, the the thing of uh, about Colin Cowherd taking credit for Trey Lance is one of the more absurd things I have heard in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, the If any front office member or any coach is making any decision based off of a referral from a high-profile media member, then you should be fired immediately. Yes. There should not be that level of influence whatsoever from the outside. It better be about the convictions that you have about the player itself, and I think that that is also a... Uh, Slap in the face to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan for you know their knowledge and their research and their ability to evaluate players. But hey, it's Colin Cowherd. He he's going to take credit and uh, and I love it. I love that he's going to bask in this, just like we like to call you know the picks that we have made and and when they come true and uh, you know like to uh, uh, you know pound our chest a little bit for that. Take credit for it. Uh, I think Colin Cowherd is going to a whole another level about his influence yeah if he can take credit for this then boy howdy and i can take credit for dk metcalf so yes yes right. you can well i'm taking it then yeah. mine because you you're guys, welcome seattle that's right because you were telling seattle all along yes you were hyping him up yep and that hype that conversation pete and john took that in you and howdy and uh and, and they knew they couldn't pass him up you're welcome john schneider <laughs> you're you're I'll welcome seattle yeah John Lynch's former employer, before taking the job as GM of the 49ers, Fox Sports. Where does Colin Cowherd currently work? Fox Sports. Get your tinfoil out. Just saying. Okay. All right. I see see Curtis doing a little investigation here. (laughs) 
coming up next here on this Saturday draft coverage. We'll give you our wish list for the remainder of the Seahawks draft picks. They've still got two to go. Pick number 217. We're, oh, we're about, what, 30 picks or so away from that. When we return, we'll tell you what we want to see from the Seahawks in the rest of today's final rounds of the draft here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You are listening to the Seahawks Draft on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nonstop Seahawks Draft coverage from the first pick to the last on 710sports.com. Sixth round underway in the NFL Draft. The Chargers kicking it off with Iowa inside linebacker Nick Neiman at pick 185. We are about 25 picks away or so from the Seahawks drafting at pick number 217, which is expected to be around 2 o'clock here this afternoon. We will definitely get you that pick as well as some instant live reaction. Also, the press conference for whoever it is that the Seahawks choose at pick number 217. They also have a seventh-round pick. I believe it's pick number 250. So two picks left right now for the Seahawks. They've taken a wide receiver with Dwayne Eskridge in round two. They've taken a cornerback in Trey Brown at uh, in the fourth round. So, guys, those were two positions that I think were were definite needs heading into this draft. What is left for the Seahawks that you want to see them address over the next two rounds here? The positions I want to see them address, I want to see them go uh, with the – uh, interior of their defensive line. I think that that's an area that I think they can add competition to. Uh, no doubt about that. I think the other area that they can continue to keep adding uh, to as well is the offensive line continuing to um, find guys that can be developmental players uh, within this uh, within this group. And you're looking at guys that, you know, Jamarco Jones eventually is going to be moving on. You're going to be looking at Phil Haynes moving on as well in the next year or two, and you, and you need to find that next crop of young players that can be a part of that um, of that depth piece. And that's really where you're about. Maybe you, do, you get lucky and you find a star here in the sixth and seventh round, but typically what you're trying to find is good depth pieces at the minimum that can come in and, and can and can contribute uh, as backup players at least for the first you know couple years and see what they can grow into. Yeah, if it's not center, to me it has to be depth. You take the best player available on your board. Obviously, everyone's boards are different. Mm-hmm. Mel Kuyper's board is going to be different than John's John Schneider's board. So, to, to me, if they were to take and they tell us the best two players on their board in the sixth and the seventh there with their remaining two picks – I'd be okay with that because you mentioned it, Jake. That depth is going to be so important. We saw it this season. Just a couple little injuries can really impact your season as a whole, not just a couple games. So making sure that drop-off in in talent from your starters to your your backups isn't as vast as it was last season. So I, I would I would love to see some depth pieces. But uh, if they're not going to do that, center. you got to go center. Get someone to get in there and compete. Or guard. We've heard Ray Roberts talk about how if you, you sort of improve your guard positions, it sort of helps elevate the center as well. So yeah. interior offensive lineman for me. I know you went uh, interior defensive, so I'll flip it. I'll go interior offensive. Okay. All right. I see it. What about you, Curtis? What, do you, what are you fancying? What, what would you love to see? I think center is is the biggest need, at least in my opinion, for the Seahawks in the remainder of the draft. Now, that being said, do we think that linebacker could be a spot that they look at? Because K.J. Wright, still unsigned. They, I believe they only have, what, four linebackers currently 
uh, on a deal of some sort. So there is not as much depth at that position as you would kind of hope to be. Maybe they are kind of playing the wait-and-see game with KJ. You bring him back, maybe you sign another veteran there as well. Um, but there is still some question marks. Right now your your starting linebackers would be Bobby, Jordan Brooks, and Cody Barton, which is a decent group, I think, but I, I think there could be some room for them to, you know, maybe improve that a little bit, but maybe that's more through free agency than the draft. But I, I do think that there are, you know, that and offensive line are probably the two biggest areas right now, at least for me. Uh, that I'd be okay with seeing them address over the next two picks. Yeah, that's a good point there, Curtis. And and you talk about guys young developing uh, what you can get at that position. I do think that that is a very good uh, a point that you make there. And one intriguing name that's right off the top is Dylan Moses out of Alabama. I mean, he was you know former five star recruit, big time player. Uh, it was a, a big time contributor for 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 Bama. Ends up getting hurt early on in his career, and then just kind of never was the same player after that and and so uh he's still somebody that is rangy can run sideline to sideline um and he might be somebody that's worth taking a chance on to add to the depth and see what you got there um but also what you're gonna want out of some of these guys I mean, think of Cody Barton think of Ben Burkirvan think of Nick Belor, Ugo Amadi you know some of these backups the big thing that they want out of these guys is can they contribute on special teams and, and be a big time special teams player what is their background in doing so so that's going to play a factor into this as well and and uh so I, I I'm going to be very curious to see what position groups they go with would this be the first year could this be the first year that the Seahawks don't take a running back? Ooh, please. I mean, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> it should be. We'll, we'll, we'll find out, but uh, oh. they, they have been uh, 100% on this. So we'll see if there's a running back that uh, that really intrigues them here in the later rounds. But uh, we, we could see history here. It's also funny, Curtis sort of touched on this before, but pick 12 in that first round may have more impact on the Seahawks than we actually think. Micah, Micah Parsons going to the Cowboys – as that linebacker, could he fill the void they were looking at KJ? And there was rumors KJ was talking to Dallas. So could he fill that void they wanted KJ to come in and fill? And will that impact his his market right now? Because, again, he still remains unsigned. So would love to see KJ back here on that on that team-friendly deal and, and have that impact on the defense like he had last season. Yeah, it's 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 a really good point, and and you know the the interesting comment as well during you know Pete Pete Carroll and John Schneider's press conference that they had before the draft was they didn't think that KJ Wright was going to be there. Mm-hmm. They thought that he was going to get snatched up, and they were fully prepared for life after KJ Wright. And uh, with that knowledge, it, it definitely makes things intriguing when it comes to the idea of uh, where they're going and the direction that they're going as a defense. Are they? shifting more towards the nickel and dime package since they have such depth at the secondary position? Or were they looking to replace him, give Cody Barton that next step? Or as as uh, as Curtis had mentioned, you know, finding somebody late in the late rounds of this draft. But now that he's around still, I think that they would love to get him back, but it's going to have to be at their price point, which I think would be a tough Thing, which would be a tough pill to swallow for K.J. Wright when he his production, his play, is much more deserving of a higher contract. Oh, absolutely. He's deserving of 
a Ring of Honor spot here in Seattle. I mean, that guy has been just – you put him in your lineup, you don't even have to worry about what you're getting from him. And so maybe there is still an opportunity for K.J. Wright to return here in Seattle. Jake, you bring up the running back position. Now, I, I don't want to see them use a pick at running back here. I I think they would probably use the, uh, an undrafted free agency spot for a running back. But if they did, if there is one guy that I could see them drafting that I'd be okay with, I'm going to say Oregon State running back Jamar Jefferson. That guy has been a workhorse during his time in Corvallis, still on the board uh, here in round six. And he had some pretty, you know, jaw-dropping performances for the Beavs over the last couple of seasons. If there was ever a running back that I'd be okay with this late into the draft, I think Jamar Jefferson is that guy. Okay, Curtis. Well, I'll remember that when they uh, when they pick a running back. Jamar Jamar Jefferson oh. is Curtis's Rogers guy now, heading into the late rounds. We'll see how that plays thanks, out. Thanks, Curtis. Now we're definitely <laughs> drafting a running back. <laughs> thanks for that. Let's go, Jamar Jefferson. Bring him home, John Schneider. Let's That's go, Beavs. I know you're listening to us right now yeah or how about uh how about uh, a sleeper pick here for you curtis uh the kansas jayhawks 5'9 175 pounds puka williams jr Ooh, high school out of okay. louisiana this guy's pretty electric in terms of a pass catching running back um but he looks like he's somebody that could maybe get picked up when it comes to undrafted free agency but uh I, i'm with you curtis jamar jefferson if you were going to pick a running back uh, he really stands out to me in terms of uh, you know some of the the plays that he's made uh, and and the durability that he's had um, and the consistency that he has played with over the course of his career at Oregon State that would be an intriguing one there if they were going to pick running back um, and again the only reason why we're talking about it is not that it's a need but that you know the Seahawks have not had a year where they've gone without a, without drafting a running back so uh, it is very likely that they uh, they they pick that position. Well, Don't that is it. going to do it for this combo here on uh, 710's NFL Draft Saturday coverage. But stick around because, Jake, you're sticking around. we got Stacey Ross coming in, Michael Bumpus at some point. Is Paul Gallant coming in, too? I oh, mean, he's back got there. the whole cast of characters. Oh, man, we got the whole crew here holding it down on this NFL Draft Saturday. Seahawks picking at pick number 217. You don't want to miss it because this is the place you want to be to hear it right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.